Welcome, friends. You're listening to the Ultimate Outcome Sermon Podcast. Here's Richard Elwell with today's sermon. Now, let's get to the message this morning. I want you to begin to begin with to imagine for a second. Imagine something. I want you to imagine that everything that restrains you from doing wrong is lifted. That there is nothing that stops you from doing what is wrong. Imagine for a second here that there is no legal restraint to any wrong behavior. There's no fear of the force of law. There's no intimidation about getting caught. And imagine for a second that there is no social restraint to uh, all, any behavior at all. No, that, that everything we do would have social approval. Ima- imagine that for a second. For example, uh, would our behavior change if when we walked into a grocery store and uh, we had a choice when we got to the teller, am I going to pay the full price, the rightful price, what is I owe, what is, what is due? Or maybe it's my choice, I'll pay half the price of what is rightfully due. Or maybe I can pay nothing at all. And what, in whatever case, the, the teller would say, thank you very much, have a good day. If, I, if that were the case, if there were no constraint on my paying or not paying, would I do what is right? Would I pay the right price? Would I pay what is due? Would I change my behavior? Um, well, what I did would reveal something about myself. Uh, would we pay the right amount under those conditions? And, would our behavior re- and what would our behavior reveal about us? Well, you know, the only people who would pay the right amount are people who want to do what's right for the sake of the fact that it is right. Not because of the consequences of doing wrong. You know, several years ago, I think it was about five years ago, uh, I heard that there was a really cheap deal on gas at the Chevron gas station here on University Parkway. I didn't know why, but I heard that their prices were a dollar below everywhere else. And I thought maybe it was some kind of promotional or something. So I got in my car and rushed over to the Chevron gas station only to get there a little bit too late. The, the gas station had realized that their clerk had uh, or somebody had set the wrong price on the pumps and they'd set it a dollar lower than it had been. And, and a lot of people had been filling up at a dollar lower. I mean, it got around to me. I think my son came and went, you wouldn't believe the price I got at the Chevron station. So I was sitting there having gotten there too late and there was two strange emotions going through me. One was, ah, heck. And the other one was relief. I was relieved in a way because I started thinking to myself, how would have I felt if in the process of pumping this gas, I would have discovered that I was paying the wrong price, not because uh, they set it low, but because they had made a mistake. And I, would, I was relieved that I didn't have to feel the guilt of doing something wrong. Or how would have I felt if later I found out that uh, I got the wrong price uh, because it had been messed up? And that, so I had that emotion going through me. But at the same time, I had the emotion of, ah, oh, heck, I could have gotten it. I, I, 15 minutes ago, I could have gotten it a dollar cheaper. So kind of the two sides of my nature were sort of warring within me. You know, the side that wants to get something for nothing and the side that wants to do what is right. 
I think we all have within us, you know, this, this battle between the dark motivations and the motivations of doing what's right. When we're spirit-filled, we have a new, a new reality that is alive within us where there's part of us, that the, new, newness, uh, the newness that we have in Christ wants to do what is right for the sake of right itself. Sometimes dark motives only become visible when external, pre- uh, when external pressure to do what is right is removed. Um, think about it this way. One of the behaviors that really scares me and really irritates me is when I'm driving on the freeway and you see these, usually Hondas or something like that, you see these little sporty cars zip in and out of and weave through the traffic. It really bugs me. And it's almost, inver- I've ne- never seen it be any other than a young man driving the car. And one of the things I've noticed when they're doing that is they never have their mother with them. <laughs> you, you can't imagine them doing that with their mother or their father sitting next to them. You, you know, when, when restraint is lifted, then reality is, is, becomes real. If, if the restraint of a parent was there, then you wouldn't see the evil uh, that, is, that is there. Today, as we continue in our series entitled No Greater Love, we're going to be looking again at the last few hours of the life of Jesus Christ. And we're going to be looking at a period of time uh, beginning in the Garden of Gethsemane. We started looking at the Garden last week. But we're going to be looking at a period of time where Jesus Christ says it's a time where darkness reigns. It's a time where restraint is lifted. It's a time where, well, let's see what happens when evil is unopposed. We'll see in the garden that there's an interesting thing uh, that is revealed about us and about God in the hour when darkness reigns. We're going to be looking at what happens when darkness is allowed to do what it wants to do. When the normal, normal constraint that keeps Jesus' enemies from harming him is lifted, when darkness is allowed to run its course unhindered. And uh, of course, as we approach this, we have to ask the question, why did God give a time? Why did God give a time of complete liberty to darkness? Well, you know, that question resounds throughout history. Why does God allow evil at all? Why does God give any human liberty to do what is wrong? But especially here, why does God allow a time when there's total lack of constraint for darkness, where darkness is allowed to do whatever it wants against its, his, his beloved son? Uh, so we're going to be asking that question. Why does God give uh, varying degrees of liberty to us? What do we discover uh, about humanity when Restraint when what restrains evil is lifted. Are we just as good as people? Am I just as good uh, when I can get away with doing what is wrong? Am I just as good when I can get away with doing wrong? Uh, do we do good because we have to or because we want to? Can we ever be right without wanting to do right for righteousness sake alone? Those are some questions we'll be asking as we look this morning Uh, At Luke chapter 22, verses 47 through 53, and the title of this morning's message is, When Darkness Reigned. 
Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your word this morning and we just pray, Father, that as we enter into uh, these, these riveting words that Christ uh, speaks, that, that this, is, uh, this is an hour when darkness was allowed to reign, that we would see what you would want us to see through these verses, that we would realize what was exposed as a result of your allowing darkness to have run its course. And we pray, Father, this morning that we would be blessed and edified by the reading of your word that we'd be lifted by it and we'd gain understanding both of ourselves and of humanity and of you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Luke chapter 22, beginning at verse 47, it says this. While he was still speaking, and he's here in the garden of Gethsemane, it's after his, his uh, anguished prayer that we looked at last week, and he was speaking to his disciples. And while he was still speaking, a crowd came up and the man who was called Judas, one of the 12, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour. This is your hour. But this is your hour. This is your hour when darkness reigns. Jesus had this um, favorite getaway. It was an olive grove called the Garden of Gethsemane. It was at the base of the Mount of Olives just outside of Jerusalem, across from the Kidron Valley. And um, we looked at last week how they had gone out to this garden and how Christ in agony lamented in prayer as he was facing the, the submission that he was called to make to drink out of the cup of God's wrath in our place. How, how he was just in so much torment. He wanted any other way to be before him that men could be saved. But this one way was the only way that he would become the surrogate and he would drink to himself the due penalty that all of us deserve. And as he was praying to the Father and asking for some other way, he ultimately submitted to the Father's will gladly, recognizing that this was the only way that the punishment of our sins could be atoned for. And uh, so he's gone through this time of agony in prayer. And then he uh, sees Judas coming up who had conspired to betray him. And he led these people, the soldiers to this place to arrest him. And the reason why uh, Judas was the one that needed to lead him is because this was a secret place. This wasn't a place that people knew where Christ went frequently, but Judas knew. And so this was why Judas was key to leading them there. And when they got there, uh, some amazing things happened. Now, it's, it's good to read some of the other gospel accounts about what happened. And so we'll just put in a little bit of what John in the gospel of John says about this uh, account. He, he, he reveals in, in the gospel of John that as soon as they arrived with this contingent of soldiers, and as soon as Jesus identified who he was and said, yes, I am he, the power came out of Christ so powerfully that the soldiers who had come to arrest him fell back onto the ground with no push, with no, nothing other than just the 
holy presence of Christ, power was released in such a mighty way that the ones, the strong ones who had come to arrest him couldn't even stand on their own two feet. And I think Peter was encouraged by this. He goes, whoa, look at that. And he goes, it's time to fight. And he pulls out his sword and lops off the ear of, of uh, John reveals the name of the man, um, uh, Malchus, uh, thank you. <laughs> uh, and uh, it, it, and uh, it, Malchus is a servant of the high priest. And then, you know, Peter must have been disappointed because Christ said, put away your sword, Peter. Put away that sword. And he reaches out and he heals the ear of the high priest's servant. Think about this for a second. Think about it, what it must have been like to be one of those soldiers. Wow, we're coming to arrest this guy? Oh. Think about uh, this whole scene where Jesus, who has the power to knock them on their rear, surrenders to them. But as Christ is surrendering to them, he challenges those who are arresting him with a rhetorical question. He tells them, why do you come out and arrest me here at night? What's the story here? You could have arrested me any time you wanted during the day. You know every day I've been in the temple. Why do you come out here with a bunch of uh, weapons to arrest me, who, a man who is unarmed? Why do you do it in this secret place when you could have done it openly any time in this past week? Think about that for a second. They paid Judas, the betrayer, a bunch of money to lead him to a place where Jesus could be found secretly when they could have arrested him any time they wanted, any day of the week. They had no problem finding him during the day. They wanted to be able to find him at night. And Jesus was uncovering their motives by asking this rhetorical question. And the reason why they wanted to arrest him at night is because of the restraint that was applied by the people's opinion of Christ. They were afraid that if they arrested him in public, that the people who were uh, following him or were impressed by him or were worshiping him would rise up and resist them. So they wanted to arrest him secretly. And after making this rhetorical statement that exposed their motives, that exposed to them and to the disciples that the reason why you didn't arrest us in public is because of the restraint of the, of the public, uh, he makes this statement. He says, but this is your hour. This is your hour. And what does he mean by that? When darkness reigns, this is the hour when you can do whatever you want this is the hour when darkness reigns. This is the hour when you can come and treat me however you want. Now, here's the deal. The detachment of soldiers were only able to arrest Jesus because he let them. God in his sovereign will allowed darkness to reign for a time. He allowed evil to be unhindered to do what it wanted to do to Jesus. It wasn't the first time that a crowd of people wanted to kill Jesus. Uh, 
when Jesus was going through his hometown of Nazareth, he was preaching in a synagogue and he was talking about how prophets had been preferential towards the Gentiles. And he made the point while he was talking about that, that uh, he, a prophet, was not honored in his own hometown. And the crowd got so furious at the implications of what he was saying that they dragged him out to a cliff and they are going to throw him over the cliff. And he just went and walked through the crowd. They couldn't touch him. They had no power to kill him. Uh, neither did the soldiers who came to arrest them. Uh, the power that they had to arrest him and kill them, him was given to them by God himself. It was the sovereign will of God uh, that, that uh, Jesus Christ was arrested, tried, and crucified. In this case, God allowed darkness to reign for an hour. So why did he do that? Why did God allow darkness to reign? Why does God allow evil? Well, the theme of this morning's message is this. When darkness reigned, darkness was exposed. When darkness reigned, darkness was exposed. Again, every day I was with you in the temple court, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Why did God the Father allow his Son to be placed in the hands of darkness, giving darkness free reign to do what it wanted with him? And the answer is there's no greater exposure of the darkness then they allow the darkness to run its full course uh, and see what happens when it does. There is no greater revelation of the nature of human evil than to see how it reacts to Jesus without restraint. What happened during this hour of darkness? What exactly was revealed? When we see how darkness, when we see how darkness, when we see uh, how darkness reacted to Christ, darkness itself is completely exposed. Let, let me uh, try to uh, illustrate it to you this way. In the hour of darkness, we see certain things that happen to the truth. We see certain things about the nature of darkness and how it reacted to the truth. In this hour of darkness, when darkness uh, reigned, we see that the truth was first of all betrayed. The first thing that happened in this hour of darkness was that Judas betrayed darkness. And what was his, uh, betrayed the truth. And what was his motive? His motive was greed. He did it for some money. The second thing we see is that the truth was abandoned. All of his disciples left him. And why did they do it? Well, their motive was fear. They were afraid of uh, being physically killed themselves. So they left the truth. They abandoned Christ in this hour of uh, this hour when darkness was reigning. The third thing that happened was truth was rejected. The religious leaders had a kangaroo trial, actually six of them, and they put Jesus on trial, uh, three civil trials, three religious trials, and uh, they had nothing uh, against him, and nevertheless, they uh, convicted him, and what was their motive? Their motive was jealousy. Their motive was they were afraid they were going to lose their place to this one that the crowds were admiring. If Jesus hadn't gathered so much respect and admiration from the Jewish people, they would have never done anything with him, but they were jealous of him. The truth was denied by Pilate. And what was his motive? It was practicality. 
he denied the existence of the truth or that, that truth even mattered. And all he didn't really want to crucify Christ or he didn't want to hand him over to be crucified, but he saw it as a practical matter to keep uh, tranquility in and among the Jewish people. So he, uh, he denied the truth for the sake of practicality. And then the truth was condemned by the crowd. Crucify him, crucify him. Now, this is weird. A crowd just uh, a week earlier was saying, hallelujah, blessed is the name, man who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, they were, they were extolling the virtues of Christ. Now a crowd is shouting, crucifying him and choosing him to be crucified over Barabbas, uh, the thief and the insurrectionist. And what was their motive? You know, anytime a crowd gets going and everyone goes along with it, the motive is acceptance. I want to be part of the movement. I want to be part of the crowd. And finally, the truth was killed. The Roman soldiers killed Christ on the cross. And what was their motive? No, they're just doing their duty. You know, they're, they're just doing their blind duty. They're just following orders. Um, now, think. I want you to think about this for a second. What does this reveal Aren't all the common weaknesses of human evil fully revealed in this hour of darkness? Let's put ourselves in the revelation of God's light. Who of us hasn't let greed in some way deter us from doing what is right? I think if we're honest, we can see moments in our lives when we've let greed deter us from doing what is right. Who of us hasn't at some point in our life been affected by fear where we turn from the truth or we turn from doing what's right because we're afraid? Who of us hasn't let jealousy in some way affect us and to deny or turn away from the truth? Who of us haven't let jealousy uh, dissuade us from doing what's right? Who of us like Pilate hasn't let practicality or the consideration of what's practical versus what's true. Who of us haven't put practicality above the truth at some point in our life? Who of us haven't been moved by the desire to be accepted in a crowd to go in the wrong direction and to do what is wrong? Who of us haven't out of blind obedience just done something without thinking about it because we were told to and denied the truth just to obey. Um, in this hour, our common humanity, our common condition is on display. All that needs to be seen about mankind is revealed when, when darkness is allowed to run its full course, when darkness is allowed to reign. And what it reveals is the nature of man and our need for a savior our need for God's love and for God's mercy. What it reveals in this hour of darkness is how much we need a savior, how much we need God to forgive us, how much we need the love that he extended to us through Christ Jesus. When we see the way humanity is, when darkness is allowed to reign, we see ourselves and we see God as he is and we see our need for his mercy. <clears throat> Again, when darkness reigned, darkness was exposed kind of ironic. You, you just let darkness do its thing and all of a sudden you can see darkness for what it is. Point number one is our response to Christ exposes what is true about us. Take a look at verses 52 through 53. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and the elders 
who had come for him. Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. The way his enemies came to arrest Jesus revealed something about the nature of his enemies. They reveal, it revealed what, was, what they were all about. And in the same way, how each man responds to Jesus reveals what is true about us. Christ is the truth. He is the truth standing among, among all men at all times. And how we react to him reveals how we react to the truth. Do we, uh, you know, let me, put, let me back up a little bit and say this. We are free to do with Christ whatever we want. We have the liberty by, set by God to respond to Jesus Christ however we want. When we reject him, we say something about ourselves. When we accept and receive him, we say something about ourselves. He stands at the middle of human history as the revelator of who man is and who God is. And our response to him reveals the truth about ourselves. We have the power to act and the power of our actions reveal something about who we are. Now think about this for a second. Uh, the power to act reveals something about who we are. Adolf Hitler is an evil man, right? In, in, uh, in today, there's 5 billion people on the face of the earth. Out of those 5 billion people, how many people are as evil as Adolf Hitler? There's probably a lot. There's probably, you know, millions that are equally evil to Adolf Hitler, but we don't see it. We don't see it and it can't be manifest because they don't have the same degree of power that he had. Uh, if he had never risen to power, if he had never gained prominence over Germany, if he never had the, the ability to order that powerful army, we would have never known how evil he was. If he didn't have the power to open up the uh, concentration camps and put people to death, we would have never had uh, the revelation of how evil he was. It was the degree of power that he had that revealed what he was like. And what I'd like to say to you is whatever power we have reveals what we're like, either for good or for evil. And you know, the, there's a saying that says, a power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But is that really true? Is it really true that power corrupts? Jesus Christ has all power and he, is he corrupt? I think we should reconsider that for a second. It isn't power that corrupts. It's power that, ex ex it's power that reveals corruption. And it's power that reveals goodness too. We have been given the power to act. The power to receive Christ or the power to reject Christ. And in that power to act, uh, what, is, what we do with the power that Christ has given to us, uh, we are revealed for uh, what we're really like, what we love. Do we love darkness or do we love the light? Think about this. Let me, let me illustrate that with a verse. Let's apply this verse to ourselves. John 3, 16 through 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him 
uh, stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Now, given that, given that condemnation and not being condemned was based on whether we put our trust in Jesus Christ or not, who wouldn't put their trust in Jesus Christ? Who wouldn't want to not be condemned? Who wouldn't embrace this opportunity given to us by God? Why would anyone not want Jesus? Well, the answer to that is in the next verse. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. If you love darkness, you're not going to want to have anything to do with Christ. If you love darkness, then the light is going to be repulsive to you. If you don't want, if the truth is, if you're allowed to respond to the truth and you reject the truth, it says as much about you as it does about the truth. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. The light has come into the world. And now the question is, how do men respond to it? The light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. They come into the light not so that they'll be shown to be so great because we know that we're not that great. When we come into the light, we know that we've already seen by virtue of the light that we need mercy. We need God's love. We need this grace that he's given to us because he loved the world and he sent his son to save us. But whoever comes in, uh, whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly seen that what he has done has been done through God. The, the motive of coming into Christ is so that the works of God could be done through us. We don't come to Christ because we're so great and we're so perfect already. We come to Christ because we want the works of Christ to work through us. We want the truth to be in us and come out of us. We wanna be a fountain of living water. The light of the world revealed by uh, Jesus Christ uh, separates men into those who are attracted to it and those who aren't. How we respond to the light reveals something about us. How we respond to the light when it you know, causes us either to run and hide from the light or repent for our sins and embrace God's mercy. Again, this morning, the theme this morning is when darkness reigned, darkness was exposed. Point number one is our response to Christ exposes what is true about us. And part, point number two is truth is victorious even when darkness reigns. Verses 49 through 50. Truth is victorious uh, through 51. Truth is victorious even when darkness reigns. When Christ's followers saw what was, what was going to happen, they said to the Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. He touched the man's ear and healed him. Um, think about this for a second. Think about what this reveals about the nature of Christ. I want you to put yourself in the place of Jesus for a second. What if you were the innocent holy one and a group of soldiers came to arrest you uh, unjustly and unfairly? It's completely wrong and you didn't deserve it. 
And uh, one of your followers lopped off the ear of the high priest's servant. Would you feel sorry for him? And imagine if you had the power to heal this guy who came to uh, mistreat you. Would you do it? Or would you just let him leave, stay there and bleed? You know, this is, this is your enemy who has come to drag you off, to uh, accuse you falsely, and ultimately to crucify you. How would you treat your enemy? <laughs> Jesus felt sorry for the guy. He wanted to restore him. He, he, he had, a, had compassion even for this one who is coming out to kill him. Now, what I want you to see in this is Christ was true to his nature. He was true to his nature. He was true to the nature of what he was like, even when he was being wronged. What a, what a beautiful example of integrity this is. What came out of Christ, even when he was being wronged, what was real about him, his goodness, his holiness, his caring, his compassion for humanity came out even to when he was being wrong and even to one of the people that were wronging him. Isn't that an amazing picture there of what, what's revealed at this moment? Here we see this beautiful example of the goodness of Christ being acted out even to those who are unjustly treating him. What comes out of us when we're put to the similar test? You know, the more we become like Christ, hopefully the more we, what's inside of us is revealed. Uh, but there's no greater moment of revelation than the moment when we're being put to the test. Let's play this little mind uh, game here. Imagine you were way behind in all your bills and your utilities were about to be turned off. And you were walking along and you found on a park bench a wallet that had thousands of dollars in it. Would you do the right thing and return it to its rightful owner? Well, let's say all your bills were paid and you had no mon uh, monetary pressure at all and you came upon the wallet. Would you do the right thing and return it to its rightful owner? Or would you do what you know you could get away with and take the cash and maybe return the wallet some covert way empty, send it through the mail? What, what would you do? Now I want you to, uh, let, let's jack this up a little bit here. Imagine you were the victim of a fraud that had ruined you financially and you were completely destroyed uh, you know, economically because somebody had cheated you out of your life savings. And you came along and you saw that wallet on the park bench and it had thousands of dollars in it. And you opened up the wallet and you recognized from the ID that the wallet belonged to the guy who had cheated you out of your life savings. Would you have the integrity to do the right thing and give the wallet back to the man who cheated you? That's what's happening here in the garden. That's the way Christ is. He is a man of such integrity. He does what is right in the midst of being most so terribly wronged. It's a beautiful revelation of the nature of God. He is unbelievable. What a test of integrity that would be. And Jesus, who is the light of the world, the embodiment of truth, remains true to his holiness even in the midst of darkness. 
as we walk in the light, our integrity will be challenged. It will be challenged when we're treated unfairly. It will be challenged when we're treated unjustly. The question is, will we remain desiring to do what's right even when we're trying, even when we're being treated wrongly? And let me just say this in conclusion. Our remaining right is far more important than our being treated right. I want to say that again because I kind of want to convince myself. (laughs) Our doing what's right and remaining right is far more important than our being treated right. Here's God's script for you. You know, in your life, you have a choice. Do I try to write my own script or do I try to uh, find what God's script is for me? Here's God's script for you. In a phrase, God's script for your life is to become like Jesus. I'm not like that. I can tell you that. I, I'm not like that Jesus in the garden. Uh, I, I got a ways to go. But I kind of like the idea. I kind of like the idea. I do like the idea. I love the idea of being so a man of such integrity that I would do right, right even when I was wronged. It's a beautiful idea, I think, and I, I, I love that idea. I love the truth, and I want to be true. When darkness reigns is the best time to test your progress. And here, when darkness reigns, Jesus was true to himself. When darkness reigned, darkness was exposed. Our response to Christ exposes what is true about us. And point number two, the truth is victorious even when darkness reigns. Let me conclude this morning by reading from Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. It says this, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, um, we just thank you, Father, that you love us the way we are, that you've come, and that you want to do what's right for us the way we are, that we don't need to fear having to make ourselves perfect before we come before you, that we don't have to fear uh, being... um, all clean before we come before you, Lord. We, we see that you want what's best for us, even, even if we're coming out to arrest you on, uh, falsely. You, that's the way you are. Uh, I can just hear you when you were talking to Judas when he was betraying you. You, you betray me, my brother, with a kiss. I, I can hear the tenderness uh, in your voice, wishing Judas had done something else. And Lord, I, I just know, Father, that you're just open to us 
the way we are. But Father, I, I, I want the liberty of not staying the way I am. I want the liberty that comes from becoming like you. And I ask for your help and we ask for your help, your spirit living in us, freeing us from the force of provocation in our lives, freeing us, Lord, to do what's right, even when we've been wrong. Boy, what a beautiful uh, expression of integrity that is, Lord, that we would wanna be right so much that we would do right even when we're, when we're being wronged. Lord, I, I'm a long way from that. You know I'm a long way from that. But I pray today I'll get a little closer because of my admiration of you, Jesus, and wanting to be like you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey friends, thanks for listening to the Ultimate Outcome Sermon Podcast. Ultimate Outcomes is a nonprofit organization founded on the biblical principle that knowing and applying God's truth makes a difference in the quality and destiny of our lives. It is our prayer that this podcast and its resources bless you and your churches as much as it has blessed all of us who have learned from the biblical teachings of Richard Elwell. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit www.ultimateoutcomes.org.